Hey everybody, it's Friday and I am so pleased that I had a few extra moments to put this podcast together for you all this week. I know it's been a few weeks. I've been uh, inconsistent in my ability to get out information and that is just due to the fact that I am in the middle of a lot of stuff. We uh, just moved in September. I am homeschooling one of my kids. The other one is in school. They both have a ton of activities. Um, I myself am start, starting some new work as well as continuing. I do some commercial work and so things are, are really, really busy. And as to the book, which is the whole reason I started doing this in the first place, uh, we are rolling along. Here's the thing. I already wanted to get some chapters out to you all, but I am waiting on my editor. My editor happens to be my sister. Now, I chose her for a reason. I really wanted to choose someone that I knew was not going to be taken aback by some of the claims that I am making in this book and by some of the biblical understanding that I'm trying to provide. And I know that she is um, in alignment with making sure that my heart is clear and isn't going to want to change it, but also she's incredible editor. She has an incredible literary past as well as a master's in literature and English. Um, She's working on a PhD and she is brilliant and an incredible writer herself. And so it is worth all the extra time. That woman has three little kids of her own and a lot on her plate. So I am just giving her her sweet time to do it so we can do it together right I'm really excited for things to be done, though, and to get them to you all. And that is hopefully going to happen here pretty soon. So as we're preparing for the Sabbath, I just want to remind you all, I always encourage people, take the Sabbath. You know, this time of year can be really busy for people. And I know for so many, it gets overwhelming. You need the Sabbath even more during those times, really. You need that reset. So as a reminder, you will find the definition of God's Sabbath day in Exodus 20. Um, You're going to find out that it's from Friday evening to Saturday evening. It's the seventh day of every single week as defined by scripture. And I encourage you to take it. So hopefully you're prepping for the Sabbath and you're getting your family ready to have a really good family day. And, you know, we attend this great little messianic a congregation called The Way on Saturdays. We love it. Um, and, and then we try to have family time and just rest time. And it's always a good time with the Lord. He always shows up and shares something with me on the Sabbath day when I'm faithful to be there at his table. So uh, I'm encouraging y'all to be faithful as well this weekend. I just wanted to throw out a concept that I know for those of you out there that follow what I'm doing, I know you're in your word. I know you love the Lord. And there's no reason you would be here if you weren't really curious and had intellectual questions and um, was really interested in scripture already. So I have a feeling you've already been thinking about this. But it's something I just wanted to um, discuss because I think we're in the midst of seeing some of this revealed right now. And this is this concept of what the gods of the age are right now. There are multiple of them. Um, We've always, always had the worship of God and then everybody else who is worshiping something else, right? We are made to be worshipful. As the pastor Stuart Redemption Hill says, we are made to be worshipers. We cannot help it. We cannot help but put our aim and our focus somewhere. And so whatever your aim and your focus is, whatever you're aiming at consistently and spending your time on, that's your God, right? Like you, if you are serving that thing, that is your God. And, you know, this concept of worship is this idea of 
bowing down and being obedient to. That's the scriptural idea of worship. And so what is it that you're being obedient to? And hopefully for all of you, it's the Lord God Almighty, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But for the world, they are choosing other things. You know, those who are not in the Lord are going to choose something else as their God. And of course, they're going to say, no, it's not my God. But we can't help it. We are worshipful beings. And so it absolutely is. And I have seen some gods of the age be revealed in a way that I never thought I would see before. Um, And God showing me how we're all participating in this. And it's why I think as believers, we need to be on our knees in prayer. We need to be turning away from these other gods, like full force turning away, 180 degrees, standing against what those gods stand for, um, and, and really able to decipher, delineate. Um, You know, God is so good at defining. He's interested in defining things. This is light. This is dark. This is right. This is wrong. This is righteousness. This is unrighteousness, right? He gives us these definitions. We need to be able to do that very clearly and concisely culturally. We need to be able to see the symbols of the gods of the age because they are very much connected to ancient gods. We are not doing anything any better or hardly any differently than humans have in the past. It's just, it's got a different wrapper on it, right? But the same spirit, which is that the enemy wants to come in and convince you that these other gods, that these other ideas are important and that they should have the seat on the throne in your heart. And so as I think if we're having this discussion about these gods, we're able to educate our children better about them and we're able to kind of look at the culture and see it for what it is. And, and who's really running it. And so let's just start off with one of the ones that I think has been revealed a lot lately, and I've been surprised at the lack of care. I mean, I am not seeing churches or believers or secular people give a rat's behind about this, and that is tragic, and, I, and we're going to talk about why. And this first God of the age is definitely centered around our economy and material goods. And, you know, something I started talking about a long time ago is that when we're talking about the environment, we're talking about humanity and the way that things are made. We have completely glossed over China and India and um places where our goods are made, where people are living in squalor and poverty. We have had people from our clothing industry say, well, if it wasn't for us, those people wouldn't have any job at all. That's just abusive, right? That's just saying, well, you know, but we provide them at least a job. So you can treat the people at the bottom of the barrel terribly because without you, they would die. I mean, how evil is that? And yet, We as believers have put up with this as a route to receiving things and material goods cheaply for a very long time. And sadly, we've even really participated like in the creation of those goods. Um, I know a lot of people whose hearts have really turned and have changed and have said, you know, I don't want my company to make their products in China anymore. I don't want my company to be involved in this anymore. But gosh, it's taken so long. And I'm reminded of the story of the uh, young ruler who goes to the Lord and he asks, you know, Lord, how can I enter the kingdom of heaven? Basically, how can I really be know that I'm going to participate in this? And he says, I obey all the law, basically. And Jesus says, I want you to go and sell everything you've made and give it to the poor. 
and then follow me. And remember, he kind of turns away downtrodden, downcast. Well, at the time, culturally, most of the wealth, the wealth at the top was made on the backs of basically slave labor at that time. It was made off the backs of taking advantage of the poor. And Yeshua says, hey, you need to go get rid of all your ill-gotten gain, all that money. I mean, you think you're following the law, but the spirit of the law is that we would treat every human being with dignity and that you would honor me with the way that you make money, the way that you gain your things. And I think the rich young ruler is really disappointed in his own past behavior and the way that his family has gained wealth culturally. I think that's part of his sadness as he turns away, is there is a cultural statement being made by Christ when he says, you need to go sell everything. Because selling everything you own is actually not part of God's law, right? So Jesus is talking right at the heart of a problem, okay? And the problem is ill-gotten gain is actually a part of God's law. In God's kingdom, we don't take advantage of the poor in order to do well right? That's, you're supposed to take care of the poor, to be taking care of widows and orphans. This is a command. It's not a request. It is a, you are called to do this. If you follow the Lord, if you love his word, you don't get to ignore those in your community who are truly poor and truly in need. And you certainly don't take advantage of them in order to make more money. Well, what else has America been doing for a long time in order to get cheap clothing, cheap shoes, cheap toys, cheap products. We unfortunately have, for most of us unknowingly, but we have been taking advantage of the poorest in the world in order to get those things. I don't think there's a blessing in that. And so I think this is something we are called to repentance over and we are called to turn. Um, just like Christ said, you're going to have to turn away from your wealth if, if that's what it takes. We're going to have to turn away from our wealth if that's what it takes in order to not be taking advantage of those who um, don't have as much and don't have as much freedom. You know, we think about the Uyghurs in China, and I can't believe that we tolerate as a country the sorts of deals we are making with China when they are doing Nazi-like things in their regime to people who believe in the Lord, to people who look different than they want, to people who are, I mean, they. it is so evil what is going on. And we just look the other way because they make all of our products. I, I say, sorry for the believer, not good enough. This is a God of the age where we are willing to sacrifice human beings in order to have wealth. That comes from no other place than the enemy. We need to really be questioning ourselves in this regard, change our buying habits, change our view of the marketplace. And I I really think Christians right now are being called to entrepreneurship. You know, the Bible, if it's anything economically, it's entrepreneurial. What you see are people, including women, who have their own businesses bringing something of value to the community. I think this is an amazing time for believers to become entrepreneurs and to bring something valuable to the community. Do something new and local so that you know how it's being made. You know how it's being run. You can vouch for the type of business that that is producing these goods. And we could vouch for each other and, and become the sort of community that we see in Acts. That would be an amazing silver lining to realizing all of this, right? Okay, I think there's another god of the age that's out there is sexuality. 
we have, <laughs> boy, we have really uh, gone overboard with sexuality in our culture. I think the level of addiction to pornography in the church community, I think um, our willingness to tolerate pornographic material and it, in stories that we even watch on TV because we say, well, they have, there's a good story. You know, I'll just overlook the porn because it's a great, it's great entertainment. Sorry, that's not good enough. And we're leading our minds astray and we're leading young our young minds astray. This is wrong. We have to stop this. And this is, of course, this is ancient, right? The obsession with beauty and sexuality is ancient ancient. Um, you know, so there is this goddess mentioned in scripture uh, that she's related to Astarte or Ishtar, an ancient goddess, obviously satanic, right? You know, all those pagan gods, are they all can be traced back to the same guy, which is Nimrod um, and Leol, and, which is an ancient name for Satan. But you see in Jeremiah 7, 18, and in Jeremiah 44, 17 through 19, you see this reference to the queen of heaven. Now, this ancient goddess Ishtar was also called the queen of heaven. And in Jeremiah 7, they make cakes to her. You know, so it's interesting. Actually, the ancients at Easter for the goddess Ishtar, they would make these little raised hot cross bun cakes, just like people still make today at the time of Easter, Easter, right? Ishtar for the queen of heaven. You see this in Jeremiah 7. It's discussed. Um, let me find it here. Jeremiah 7, 18. The children gather wood, the fathers kindle fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. There she is. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Okay, so even back in the biblical times, they were worshiping this goddess. Now, what does she have to do with sexuality? Well, a lot. So she was beautiful and always young but and always sexual, never with child, though. She never has children. She has to keep her figure. She has to be beautiful at all times. Do we do this culturally? Absolutely. We are obsessed with beauty. We are obsessed with youth. We are obsessed with convenience when it comes to children. Children are no blessing until you say they are, right? You know, that's why abortion exists in such high demand like it does today. You know, children are only a blessing when we say they're a blessing and and we only want them when we want them. And Everything is centered around convenience and beauty and sexuality, and we put up with so much of this for whatever reason. We call it entertainment. We call it whatever we want. We cannot get over the lust of our eyes, and I think that this God um, has been around for such a long time. It's not surprising that we're still super obsessive about it, but it's something that God's people are called away from. And you're going to see in Revelation, um, I love, I'm so grateful to the pastor of the Way congregation for helping me to learn some of this, that this ancient goddess Ishtar, there's this verse in Revelation that talks about a woman riding a beast. Um, this woman is the goddess Ishtar, and you can see images of her riding a beast um, back in uh, ancient like Babylonian uh uh, archaeology. There are images of this. And it's the same image. John is pulling from ancient pagan god imagery in order to show you what's happening. And so here we have this ancient goddess Ishtar, this sexual worship 
uh, still happening in the end times and that she will actually get taken down eventually. Eventually, Satan will want to show you his true, true self, you know, that the worship of sexuality and this goddess is just a smokescreen for Satan himself. Um, And that gets revealed in the end. But right now we're still really dealing with this really heavy smokescreen of sexuality. God has called you out of that. He's called you out of pornography. He's called you out of visual stimulation in that way because he's called us to oneness with a partner, right? God loves family and family is centered around an adult male and adult female bond. And we know this is God's ideal because this is what he put in the Garden of Eden. This was Genesis. And we also know that this is God's ideal because a male and female adult are the only two things in combination that can create human life in a healthy way. And that is something God is obsessed with life, right? He's the God of life. And so he wants us to be creating children in a healthy way. And that is with one partner in unity, in loyalty. It's a reflection of God himself in unity and in loyalty. And God hates it when the children of Israel go run after other gods, right? He calls it harlotry. He calls it cheating. Um, He hates it when man and woman in marriage are split by harlotry and cheating, right? Because this unity is so precious to preserving our understanding of the relationship between God himself and God with his people. You know, we're supposed to be the bride of Christ. And so we have got to walk away from this really obsession with sexuality in our culture and with beauty in our culture. Not that beauty is is a bad thing. You know, there's nothing wrong with beauty. Beauty points us to the creativity of the Lord. But it's the lust, right? It's the position in the heart of constantly pursuing that, that it becomes a God for people. And you see that with plastic surgery. You're seeing this with pornography. You're seeing this with every movie, right? Every, I mean, you just can hardly get away from it in our culture. So I'm sure you all agree that this is a huge problem and it is a God uh, of the age. The next uh, God of the age that I think is super concerning and is attached to ancient pagan practices is science. Um, We... When this whole idea of a debate between the Bible and science began, we were set up, right? We were set up right in that moment. And I think the church in some ways even fell for it and decided to have this ridiculous fight with science about the age of the earth and that sort of thing. When the Bible doesn't imply or say most of the things Christians claim about those things, um, and and I talk about that a little bit in my book, but the, the problem is we set it up to be a God and we set it up to win unfortunately. Instead of going to scripture and actually looking at what God has told us about the earth and and the age or not told us about the age of things, um, we had to stick and hold to some traditions of man, not traditions of scripture. And now what we have is this giant chasm between people of faith and what the world says science is. Now, I disagree with where the world is at with science right now. Um, What I'm seeing happen is that the science can't be questioned, hence the God of the age. Science is all about questioning, right? Science is never settled. The idea about settled science is a silly one. You can always question, and it should be able to withstand the scrutiny if it's good science. We're not seeing that right now, obviously, right? In our cultural discussions about COVID and that sort of thing, what we're seeing is uh, you're not allowed to question 
question it. Well, that's a religion, guys, right? We, we've now made what we call our scientific community, our religious leadership. We blindly believe whatever they tell us because surely they're smarter than we are. Isn't this, I mean, isn't this the Catholic church history, right? You blindly believe whatever the priest says because surely you're not smart enough to read the Bible on your own. Good grief, What a cage and a trap that was. And we are still in this cage and this trap. Unfortunately, now we're just calling it, you know, um, we call people who question the scientists today anti-vaxxers or anti-science or science deniers. You know, we've got climate change. If you question climate change ideology, you're a science denier. You know, no one is allowed to question even top scientists are not allowed to question. They are silenced by the media. They are silenced by social media. And I don't care what side of the coin you are on. If you don't understand that science can always be questioned and you should be able to have a debate about things, especially if you think you have the truth, the truth should be strong enough to stand up to any scrutiny. If you believe people who are scrutinizing it should be silenced, you have made science a religion. And that's a problem. There is only one God, and it can't be scientists for you if you believe in the word of God. Um, and, and this goes back, this again is related to ancient pagan practices. There have always been witch doctors, right? There have always been communi- places where someone would put a potion together, or someone would do some sort of special thing, and they would show you some sort of magic. The Bible even says in Deuteronomy 13, in warning against false prophets, hey, if they come and show you signs, they might be able to even show you signs. They might be able to show you things that say, hey, I'm telling the truth. But if they lead you away from from the word of God, if they lead you away from the laws of Moses, they are a false prophet. They're a wolf in sheep's clothing, okay? So God gave us from the very beginning a way to know if we're being lied to or not. Uh, you know, it's fascinating to me today that there's like a complete denial that natural immunity is powerful and strong. God made us, right? He created us with this incredibly complex immune system that has multiple parts and pieces and long-term memory and short-term memory and, you know, short-term antibodies and all all of these incredible things, right? And antigens that can learn how to fight one virus and then use those techniques to, to fight the next. I mean, it's a complex, complex brain-like system. And literally, you have people out there who have so bought into the idea that science scientists are the only way you can be healthy, that they will deny that your natural immune system even exists. And to me, I'm sorry, that's like, it's... It's worse than denying God. Um, well, it's not. There's all, I shouldn't say that. There's so much evidence of God. But they, I believe that this is happening because Satan wants you to believe that his things are better than God's. Really, he does. And I'm not saying that medicine hasn't made incredible progress or saved lives. It has, obviously. You know, we we have <laughs> we have ways to treat diabetes and keep people alive. And we have surgeons who literally do miracle work, right? We have made incredible strides in keeping people alive. And God loves that because he loves life. But the idea that you don't have an immune system, basically, is, is kind of an attack on God's creation itself. It is an asking you to uh, close your eyes, shut your mouth, shut your ears, don't actually observe anything scientifically, don't observe what God has created, ignore it all completely, and worship at the feet 
of this new medicine. Well, that's ridiculous. And it is an ancient god. It's a, it's just like the local witch doctor in town basically saying, I have a potion that can help you. By the way, I know plenty of missionaries who've been to Africa and been to places where witch doctors still exist, and they will tell you straight up, hey, sometimes what those guys do actually works. Sometimes what those guys call upon spiritually actually does what they tell them. That does not mean it's godly or right right? Deuteronomy 13, they might give you signs. It might even seem like it's working, but if they deny the power and the presence of God Almighty, and if they deny God's things, they are a wolf in sheep's clothing, they will still lead you to death. No matter what sign they give, they may still be leading you to death. And so I just want Christians to be very careful about the types of conversations they're having around climate change, the types of conversations they're having around the medical community right now, be careful that you're not stepping into a place where you put your faith in scientists before you put your faith in the Lord God Almighty. And I'll tell you where that line sometimes is. The second that you give into the fear. So there's a lot of fear mongering, a lot of climate change people saying, oh, we're going to be gone in 12 years. or Oh, our planet's going to implode or explode or whatever, you know. And we have a lot of scientists saying, oh, you're going to die without the vaccine. You won't make it. I mean, there's huge swaths and percentages of people who actually believe this. And it's just not scientifically accurate. The second that you have given into that fear, you are no longer trusting in the Lord God Almighty. You no longer trust that he holds your days. You no longer trust that he knows what he is doing. You have given in to fear. So that's one way to kind of ward against um, making that your God, okay? Um, another way is just test the spirit against the scripture. Does God know the number of days that the earth has? What has he called us to? Well, he's called us to take care of the planet a hundred percent, right? We were deeded with this place. We should love it. We should be careful with it. We shouldn't be messing with seeds like Monsanto does. We shouldn't be just injecting people with random things because we actually do care about the planet and we do care about the people on it. We care about life. We want to be careful with how we treat things because we love the Lord, but we don't worship the created over the creator. Okay? So nothing... Nothing can come before the Lord. And don't fall into this pattern that most people through human history have fallen into where there's some magic potion or there's some magic cure. And especially when that magic potion or cure harms people. And, you know, you see this a lot with climate change ideology. They're willing to harm people. They're willing to take, you know, in third world nations, they're willing to cut off the progress of those third world nations for climate change. They're willing to take people's jobs away for climate change. They're willing to um, be authoritarian, uh, you know, for the sake of climate change. They are willing to harm people's lives for the sake of climate change. That is where you have you are now worshiping the created over the creator, okay? So this is definitely a god of the age, I think, this worship of science and this worship of scientists. Um, and we have to get away from that. We have to have rational conversations about science. Um, I, I brought up climate change and COVID because those are two really hot-bitten issues, but I think it happens 
all over the place. I even see Christians defending abortion because they think they have the science down. When I, I, I got to be honest, where abortion is concerned, the science is completely on the side of pro-life at this point. Um, and if you don't know that, man, it's time to dig in and do your research. There is so much good science out there that is on the side of life. But um, there are other areas where we have worshipped science instead of the creator. We've worshipped the created instead of the creator. And we just have to be so careful to not cross that line and to not be participating in a God of the age ideology. And then the final one that I'll just hit on right now today, I think is self. I think that we have worshiped self um, in all of these areas. We're going to see this, right? We'd rather be right than be righteous too much of the time, right? Um, we would rather uh, have our say and, you know, get our ideas out there than serve. Uh, the idea of service, frankly, seems to have gone straight out the window. And we desperately need to be serving each other right now. This is one of the reasons I'm doing this. I want to encourage people to think and I want to be of service. I don't know all the days I have on the planet. I don't know what God has for me in my future. But I know that if I'm encouraging people to be obedient to the Lord God first, their lives will improve. Your life will improve. If you take the Sabbath, your life will improve. I'm not saying financially. I'm not talking prosperity gospel. I'm talking about the peace and the joy in your spirit. I'm talking about your connection to the God of the universe. There is nothing more important than that. This earth may treat you like garbage, but if in the kingdom of heaven your works are gold, who cares? This life is short and it's hard. Listen, it's hard for everybody. There are so many people right now who are standing up for rightness and righteousness and they are losing their lives. But Christ says, if you lose your life for my sake, you are gaining in the kingdom of heaven. The gods of this world want you to believe that you can cheat death, that your actions don't matter, that your sexual urges don't need to be tamed, that you can serve yourself and find happiness. And I'm telling you, that's a lie. You know, we are not smart enough to, to serve ourselves and actually fulfill our destinies. That's just not true. But God has written a destiny for you. I know that he has one specifically. And I promise you, it is embedded in following Christ, which means you take up your cross. It means you're going to have to do things that are difficult. You're going to have to be challenged because God doesn't want to leave you weak. He wants you strong. He wants you to have your joy, whether you're sitting in prison like Paul or whether you're sitting pretty on your favorite car or, you know, on your favorite beach or wherever it is, that joy needs to be with you. That's your strength. Nothing should be able to steal it from you. I think it's Rudyard Kipling who has this beautiful poem called If. And one of the concepts is in the poem is that you treat success and failure the same. Who you are as a human being doesn't change whether you failed or succeeded, whether you're poor or you're rich. You are the same in all places. That is the true test of a real man, according to Kipling. And I think that God is saying that's a true test uh, as to whether or not you are embedded in trusting in him first and foremost. And so I want to encourage you, don't worship yourself. And it's really hard to do. 
Because we, like I said, we want to be right rather than be righteous too often. We want to be successful rather than be servant-minded too often. I'm the same. I've fallen into this boat. I've had so much time this year um, where I've realized all the things that have been taken from my family because of COVID and because of mandates and um, my heart hurts sometimes over how hard things have been. And yet when I think about the fact that this life is not mine, that I have decided to follow Jesus and dedicate my life to him, I realize it is an honor. It is an honor to lose for his sake. It's an honor to lose if you're doing the right thing. It's an honor to suffer because that suffering will make me stronger. And I understand Paul in this small way for the first time really in my life. I understand him. I'm grateful that God is making me stronger. And I want you to have the same experience. I want you to know that joy in the midst of trial and that peace in the midst of hardship. And I wouldn't be here able to do this if I hadn't taken many steps of obedience up to this point that were countercultural, that were even counter to the churches that I was working in, where churches would question me and, and would, would kind of put me on trial for what I was starting to learn and believe. And because those ideas have stood the test, right? They've stood up to the test. That's why I'm sharing them. But I'm also sharing them because they have brought me such incredible peace and joy and strength. I am not afraid to be different and I am not afraid of the gospel of Christ. And so I want you to have that too. So today we've talked about these gods of the age. We've talked about how little they actually provide when you compare them to the great creator who knows you, knows your days, knows your needs, holds you, loves you, and has called you to an incredible destiny in him. And I I hope, you know, you can make your own list. There are other gods out there that we are worshiping in this culture that are connected to ancient pagan god practices. Um, and, And, you know, nothing has changed, right? Nothing is new under the sun. My encouragement is don't be sucked in. Um, Don't even be sucked into the debate if you feel like it's going to pull you down. Get back to the word. Get into scripture. See what God says. And make sure you're not giving into any. Be be fearless because your God is not fearful. Um, and, And know the truth and let it set you free. Um, Thank you guys. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Again, I'm encouraging you take the Sabbath tonight and I will try to make another one of these next week.